Methinks the cat bigamist doth protest too much. <laughs> Feline bigamy is legal in Wisconsin. That sounds like a uh, be, I don't UK know. short. <laughs> feline bigamy is. I was oh. a feline bigamist. I a feline no, bigamist. I take I take it back. Uh, spring fever is my favorite short. No springs. <laughs> no springs. We just watched that one. It's so good. <laughs> No springs! No springs! And then the last half of the short is just him incessantly talking about fucking springs while he goes golfing with his friends. Yes. Oh my god. You'll be the first one to die! I want to go watch MST3K shorts. I don't want to talk to you assholes anymore. I certainly don't want to talk about Amazing Spider-Man 2. Uh, oh. we, we should probably do that. Oh, no. Yeah. Was that the movie we watched? Right. I thought it was... I thought we watched a, a steaming pile of horse feces. We watched... Uh, so, well, I guess we'll start the show now. Uh, this, is, <laughs> this is Cinema Excelsior. Your, uh, your panel tonight, uh, we have uh, Mr. Derek Long... Hello, listeners. He is uh, the first reboot of Spider-Man. We have Nick Bester. Uh, hello there. He is the second reboot of Spider-Man. Oh, shit. And I am... <laughs> no, you, no. if you you were the second reboot, then you're the Homecoming series. Oh, okay. All yeah, right, yeah. sorry. I thought, we, thought yeah. we meant like, the second iteration of the Spider-Man movies. No. And Derek, Hold I guess, is, is the shitty ones. And then I'm Stephen Claypool, and I'm the reboot yet to come. <laughs> Well, actually, wait, like, the uh, the TV series, I think, had some TV movies, didn't it? Uh, you're talking about, like, the 1970s TV series? Yeah, like, I think, like, when they were making those Hulk movies, I think there was a, at least one Spider-Man movie yeah, in there. That's probably correct. So um, the Raimi movies could arguably be the first reboot. Do you really want to take on the responsibility for uh, being <laughs> the, the first, the uh, Andrew Garfield movies? I just, I'm just trying to protect Derek from that. Thank uh, you. I appreciate that. You are uh, you're a scholar and a gentleman. He has a job to look out for now. Okay, so, have... Since there are only three of us this week, can we call ourselves the Triumvirate? Yes, <laughs> we can be the tri the Triumvirate Three. Stefan, yeah. you can be Marcus Crassus. Uh, Nick, you can be Julius Caesar, uh, and I'll be Poppy. I'm on board. I like I like this. I feel really good about how this ends for me. <laughs> Hey, I lose yeah. my head. <laughs> you know, I don't. It does, this doesn't end well for any of us. True. I think. <laughs> I think of the three, your outcome is actually the best. That's true. At least I die before the civil war. <laughs> and you die super rich. Yeah. Yeah. I go yeah. out on top. <laughs> yeah, I get stabbed like thirty times by my friends. <laughs> yeah, but that just means you had a lot of friends. <laughs> That's true. That's fair. And Derek gets a good trip to Egypt out of this. There you go. Yeah. Anywho. Nice <laughs> uh, yeah, so this week uh, we watched The Amazing Spider-Man 2. Um, watched. Deep, deep size. <laughs> deep size. <laughs> Uh, as we do, uh, it's probably best to begin with a, a short summary of this film. And uh, just to, to move through it quickly, The Amazing Spider-Man 2 is the story of Richard Parker. A <laughs> <laughs> that is accurate? 
a scientist who has been experimenting with uh, splicing human and animal DNA because he thinks it will save his employer's life. And he ends up creating all sorts of weird monstrosities that are hinted at, but not shown in the course of this film. None more monstrous than his son, uh, (laughs) Peter Parker, who we spend some amount of the movie with. Well, it's 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 long been a uh, screenwriting tip to hint don't show, <laughs> hint yeah. don't show. Yeah, uh, I like that. I like that. That holds together. That's don't... certainly that's certainly the J.J. Abrams model of franchise filmmaking. <laughs> hint don't show. That's on the Abrams family crest. <laughs> uh, so yes, since the Amazing Spider-Man, when. Peter caused the death of his girlfriend's father and said father's dying words or stay away from my daughter. Peter is embarked on a multi-month relationship with said daughter. Because fuck the system, man. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, After abruptly breaking up with her shortly after high school graduation. No, 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 no. She breaks (laughs) up with him. Because he's being a it's fucking very, asshole. He is being an asshole. Yeah, the, Peter doesn't fair, come off an 18 year old, well. To be fair, he's an 18-year-old boy. They're virtually all assholes. Yeah. He's uh, also Andrew Garfield. All of those are also... Oh. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, all so, Garfields are terrible. All Garfields go to hell. Had it coming. <laughs> Charles Gateau was right. You should get a bumper sticker that says that. <laughs> um, yeah, you distracted me by thinking about the Garfield assassination. <laughs> How did they kill him? Poisoned his lasagna? <laughs> that was a cheap joke. Anywho, um, so Peter, uh, he is broken up with by his girlfriend. And he saves the life of, this is in a different order, saves the life of Jamie Foxx in ugly makeup. Uh, Don't you mean Jim Carrey? Yes, thank you. That is... (laughs) In Jim Carrey's greatest role, he plays the role of Jamie Foxx. It's it's weird casting. It's really weird casting. Uh, Jamie Foxx plays the uh, nebbish, mentally unstable... uh, but apparently one of the greatest electrical engineers in the world. Matt yeah, he's got, he's got, he's got, he's got shockingly low self-esteem and like a weirdly needy, like social complex, given the fact that he must be at the absolute top of his industry. Yeah. Oh, uh, maybe it's worth slowing down for a minute. I also skipped over, uh, right before graduation, Peter stops, uh, Peter is Spider-Man, by the way. Uh, <laughs> way, to, way to spoil the twist. Yeah, sorry. Peter Parkfield. I, bur- I buried the lead. Um, Peter stops Paul Giamatti from giving his worst performance in his hit career throughout the entire film. <laughs> oh, he still ge- he still gives his worst performance. But Wait, thanks, this, thanks this, this, this bizarre uh, bookend. This script constantly threatens the presence of Paul Giamatti. And we are mercifully spared, except at the moments where it matters most. I watched, um, you know, on, uh, on the 4th of July, I was feeling fairly patriotic. And so I watched... So you watched Sideways. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I watched some of uh, the John Adams miniseries uh, that HBO did last I've never seen. It's very, very good. And Paul Giamatti gives a really, really wonderful performance in it. He's 
very, very good. And then, he's a great, very subtle actor. He's an this excellent is actor. Yeah, and, and then, then, this is him at his weirdest, most Russian mobster <laughs> crazy band. Yep. The very next thing I see him in is this. And it was not comforting. He is a character who introduces himself by, I can't remember the character's name. Say hello to character's name. Yeah. Russian his, mobster name. Yeah. And then his second line is, I am a killer. <laughs> and that is and that is the level of subtlety in his vocal performance as well. You yeah. are nailing it's, it. It's really great character work. It really is. Yeah. It brought a lot to that part. Um, okay, so Spider-Man has saved uh, uh, socially awkward Jamie Foxx, and an indeterminate amount of time passes then? I, I really There's don't... a lot of indeterminate time in this movie. <laughs> yeah. At least a month happens. Because, uh, like We know that there's at least a month because he stalks Gwen for at least a month, but I don't know exactly how uh, how long it's going. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah it, it, it's confusing. Anyway, we pick back up, and uh, Jamie Foxx has pictures of Spider-Man all over his apartment and is talking to these pictures of Spider-Man like he's a crazy person, which is, again, basically the performance that Jim Carrey gave in <laughs> Batman and Robin. Yeah, yeah like he's got... Batman Forever, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> he, has, he has a birthday cake and is pretending that Spider-Man has got him a birthday cake. And, you know. Yeah. It's all... It's it, it's this bizarre thing where it's very it's over it's so overdone, but yet also like kind of kind of endearing at times as well. Like you kind of feel for the guy, and then you go like, "This is so over overdone." We're certainly meant to take it as endearing along that kind of like Jim Carrey model, yeah. where like, yeah, he's evil, he's the Riddler, but hey, he's Jim Carrey, and it's kind of funny. Like there's an element of of comedy that is being striven toward. Um, yeah, but like he—he's yeah. clearly—he's clearly mentally unstable, but not like a—not in at least this point in a dangerous kind of way. Like right. if if somebody right. could just—if somebody could just reach out and get to him, he could definitely get his life in order. Like there's a weird rom-com version of this movie where like he falls in love with somebody and just like everything goes fine for him. Yeah, and he's like, "I'm gonna light up the city for you," and he shoots his yeah. electrical powers out. <laughs> I would pay so much money to see that version of the movie, <laughs> where like, where like it turns into Hitch, where Spider Man <laughs> is trying, where Spider Man is playing the role of Will uh, Will Smith trying to fix uh, uh, Max's life. I would watch that. It couldn't, yeah, you would couldn't have, be worse. It could not. It literally could not be worse. So, meanwhile, and there's a lot of meanwhiles in this film. Oh, there's so many. There's like eight different story uh, threads going on, and most of them have to do with Richard Parker for some reason. Yeah. Uh, speaking of Richard Parker, so we are introduced to Peter's erstwhile best friend, Harry Osborne, who was not mentioned in the last film, but nope. is apparently Peter's longstanding best friend, played by uh, young Valerian himself, Dane DeHaan. <laughs> who uh, replaces James Franco because apparently they thought Franco at 36 didn't have the range to play a 20-year-old anymore. Yes. Although I would pay, again, I would pay so much money for James Franco to still be in this role. Yeah. yeah. So, so poor man's James Franco travels to the basement of his mansion, led along by, as Bester, you pointed out, the lesser of two columns, uh, column Fior, not column Meany. <laughs> not column Meany. <laughs> um, 
is led down to the basement of his family's mansion where he finds uh, Chris Cooper wasting away from life as he is indeed wasted in this film in the role <laughs> of Norman Osborn. Like he, for a one scene role where he just has to give like a dramatic speech about wasting his life and this disease that's killing him, I think he does fine. Like Chris, Chris Cooper is one of those actors who can make so much out of two minutes. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, like I don't, I like if I didn't, if you didn't know it was Chris Cooper, I'm not sure that like when you didn't recognize his voice. Like I'm not sure we ever get even a clear shot of what he looks like. There's like a Other couple than, of archival. Oh right, yeah, we do have that. That's right. But like, anyway. I really like Chris Cooper, and I have for a long time. Obviously. And it it breaks my heart that they cast him as Norman Osborn. And then leave him to die in a bed in his first scene. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of great actors on the uh, like on the peripheries of this movie doing shockingly bad work, this, or just or or not even shockingly bad necessarily, but shockingly minimal work. I yeah, mean, yeah. Felicity Jones is in this movie for no. fucking thirty seconds. She has like three lines, I think. Yeah, um, M. M. Beth Davids as yep. uh, as Peter's mother. Uh, I'm not sure it has a line. She maybe it's she has the line Richard, Richard, because everything's yeah. about Richard fucking partner. partner. Uh, fucking uh, BJ Novak from The Office yeah. is yeah. in this. Uh, yeah, as as uh, Max's uh, a, a very abusive uh, boss. Uh, you know, Dennis Leary makes his uh, makes his occasional appearance as hallucinated Stacy Dad. Yeah, he really earned his day of work on that green screen. <laughs> So I, I gotta I gotta pause for a second and just to your point, there are a lot of really great actors in this movie doing terrible work, and I just want to pause and play count the Oscars for a minute because okay, okay so Sally Field won an Oscar, yeah, Chris Cooper won an Oscar, Emma Stone won yes. an Oscar, um, who, Paul Giamatti was nominated. Paul Giamatti was nominated. Andrew Garfield has been nominated a couple times. Yeah. Um, Felicity Jones has been nominated. Um, I feel like I'm missing a big one, but I cannot remember. Uh, Jamie Foxx? Yeah, Jamie Foxx won an Oscar. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah Jamie Foxx won an Oscar. Uh, uh, the fact uh, that I couldn't think of Jamie Foxx speaks volumes to how he is <laughs> used in this film. Uh, is that it? I think that might be it. But yeah, there's some serious star power yeah. in this movie. Uh, none of it used particularly well, but it's all there. Uh, okay, so where have we gone? Uh, Chris Cooper dies in his bed from some kind of... Uh, he's got McGregor syndrome. He's got, like, the goblin variation of McGregor syndrome that makes his fingernails grow long. Yeah. Uh, and he tells his boy Harry that Harry has the same disease because it's genetic. And that it's going to hit him now. And for some reason, this is a disease that uh, that Norman lived with for like 60 years, but Harry seems to be dying of it immediately. Yeah. Also, the idea of a genetic disease is explained in a very heavy-handed way for the audience, yeah. as if we don't understand that there are some diseases that are congenital. Yep. <laughs> yeah, this is made abundantly clear Uh well, they had to pad the runtime somehow because it's a very short <laughs> film. Oh, yeah, only 142 minutes. Oh god. Okay, so uh, where were we? Harry's got this horrible disease. Norman Osborn dies. Um, he becomes the head of Oscorp. Yep. Which 
made me really curious about the corporate structure of this company. Uh, but it did lead to uh, one of my favorite lines in any film that I've seen in the last several years where uh, they're at a board meeting talking about Dr. Kurt Connors' experiments on animals and Colin Fjord delivers the line, all the animal hybrid experiments he was involved with were destroyed to restore investor confidence. <laughs> yes. Oh, yes. Wait, uh, uh, immediately before that scene, though, is uh, the electrical accident for uh, Jamie Foxx, yeah. because I had to rewind it to double check, because his accident involves eels, and I can't for the life of me understand why there were eels there. And I was like, are these... Kurt, are these Connor eels, or wh why are they here? I mean, they have to be, because, I mean, being electrocuted while being attacked by electric eels would not grant you electric powers under normal <laughs> circumstances. Yeah. I'm pretty also, sure that someone's written a paper on that. <laughs> yes. Also, uh, Oscorp is touting the fact that they have the first uh, electromagnetic power grid, and as from what I understand, virtually all power plants involve an electromagnetic process like you burn something and it generates steam and a fucking uh, a dynamo spins and that's fucking electromagnetic so i have no idea what it is that what it is they're claiming they've built well it's eel powered is the difference it's eel powered apparently <laughs> yeah jamie fox built this fucking eel power plant and then didn't get the credit for it and yes. then fell into the eels the irony he was going to make the eels work for him <laughs> So Jamie Foxx uh, gets electrocuted. He lets out a really hilarious, I'm being electrocuted scream. And then falls into a vat of eels and uh, turns blue and all electric. Because now he's got electric yeah. powers. And like, and just, to, and just to make it entirely clear just how, how big a sad sack it is, it's his birthday and like everybody in Oscorp is getting off at five o'clock and BJ Novak is like, hey, you need to go fix the power grid downstairs. And like he's trying to get like security to come help him, and everyone's like, "Fuck you, I'm going home." And we so, are, and... yeah, we are constantly reminded that it is Jamie Foxx's slash Max's birthday in this yes. film. I mean, that, I think that gets to casting a little bit. Uh, there's there's a writer, can't... there's a writer in Jamie Foxx's contract that it must always be his birthday well, in a that, movie. Well, that's <laughs> one, that's one thing. But the other thing is like. Okay, so Jim Carrey plays the Riddler. And we're going to keep coming back to this comparison because it's very apt. But <laughs> yes. um, Jim Carrey, he's a comedic actor. He's kind of a weird guy. You, you don't have to do a lot of convincing to make you think, oh, Jim Carrey, he's this weird guy who becomes the Riddler when things go wrong. Um, but Jamie Foxx, when, when I think of Jamie Foxx, I don't think of, oh, he's this weird outcast. I think no. you know, Jamie Foxx's entire screen presence is he's a cool guy. He's kind of smooth. He's... Yeah, he has some back. He has a background in comedy, but he's career-wise, he's been very far away from that for a very yeah. long time. Yeah. yeah. Um. So when you cast Jamie Foxx in this role, I mean, he's fucking Django for God's sake. Yeah, this must be like one of the first things he did post Django, because Django's what 2012. This is 2014. Yeah. There could yeah. only have been maybe one or two projects he did in between these. Yeah, White House Down is the only live okay. action project he did between. Yeah, like, in some ways it feels like they, like, this should be a role for Kevin Hart or something like that. Like, clearly they wanted, like, a, uh, like an, a black comedian, and that would have worked. But for some reason yeah. they went with Jamie Foxx, and I don't know why. 
I, I, yeah, I, I think this role actually would have worked a lot better with somebody like, uh, like Kevin Hart, or even like Craig Robinson, even even like yes, that would be pure like pure like goofy comedian. Yep. Um, would would have been would have been more effective given how it's clear the that the writers wanted to kind of portray this character as you know basically a Jim Carrey, um, you know not like analog, but you know yeah. it, basically a fundamentally comedic character. Yeah. Yeah, either either you need to write this character differently because you have Jamie Foxx, or you need to cast somebody else because you've written it this way. Yeah. yeah. So Jamie Foxx now has electric powers, and he uh, goes to Times Square. Uh, kind of goes crazy. There's a fight scene with Spider-Man as these things happen, uh, and ultimately, uh, after what I actually thought was some pretty decent action jamie fox gets uh apprehended and arrested and sent to the ominously named ravencroft institute (laughs) where he is under the care of a guy who i can only dr kafka yeah dr kafka Kafka. who i can only describe as like a german raul julia (laughs) that is that is very accurate Although he also looks a bit like the Can You Hear Me Now guy who now does Sprint commercials. He borrowed his glasses, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) He was Uh, apparently an Abraham Lincoln vampire, huh? He was also (laughs) one of, like, the, uh... He was, like, Galadriel's companion in the Lord of the Rings films. Celeborn! Yeah, he was Celeborn. I'm gonna need to look at a picture of Celeborn to to be sure, but I'll I'll believe you. Obviously, he must have had a long wig on. He had a long wig, no glasses, and he wasn't German. He's also the voice of Poggle the Lesser in Star Wars Episode Two: Attack of the Clones. Oh, well, Poggle the Lesser. <laughs> Who the fuck is Poggle the Lesser? He had to have been one of those Trade Federation guys. Yeah, he's one of the he's one of the Geonosians. Oh. Ah. Let's see how long the Wikipedia is. was though that it is. <laughs> well, remember you got to click over to Legends to get all the good stuff on oh, Wikipedia. Yeah. yeah, that's true. Poggle the Lesser Legends. Uh, <laughs> wow, that's a long page. <laughs> There's a lot of information on Poggle the Lesser here. Wow. Okay, that'll te- that'll learn me to look at Wikipedia. <laughs> okay, so uh, where have these plot threads gone? Peter, Peter. <laughs> I asked that myself so many times last night. <laughs> Peter reunites with Harry, who he is still best friends with, despite not having seen nor heard from him in ten years, because that's how friendships work between the ages of ten and twenty. Yeah, um, yeah, I'm definitely best friends with my best friend from when I was ten. Totally, I definitely have seen them in the last twenty years. I definitely remember the name of my best friend when I was ten. <laughs> Like, I know their name, but yeah. I'm not Facebook friends with them because there's, like, a thousand people with that name, and I don't know which one it is. You're not going to dig through. I think I think I found one that I thought might have been and sent a message asking and never heard back and didn't try any harder than that. Well, I mean, that might be, uh, that might be for the best because when Peter and Harry reunite, we quickly learn, and by quickly I mean over the span of 45 minutes, <laughs> that uh, the cure to Harry's condition may lie in uh, Peter's spider blood, uh, which apparently... For reasons that are never really explained why, but, but Harry is dead certain that the blood is the cure. Well, it's explained very clearly in another subplot where uh, Peter pursues the work of protagonist Richard Parker, 
in an attempt to understand why his parents went missing and ultimately finds subway tokens in the circuit board of a calculator his father gave him that lead him to an abandoned subway station, which has a hidden wall, which has a computer behind it that's been running for 20 years, apparently, uh, sitting by uh, 10 years, we'll call it. That's uh, not any more plausible where he finds a video that his father uploaded talking about the fact that he created this spider hybrid to try to cure Norman Osborn's disease, but he coded it to his own genome, making it ultimately so Peter is the only person that could possibly have gotten spider powers out of this. Yes, because definitely the thing that you want for Spider-Man is for his powers to be predestined. He's the chosen that is, one. <laughs> that is absolutely the the core appeal of Spider-Man, that he is an ubermensch. Yeah. It's a very Calvinist yeah. view of the character. <laughs> <laughs> yes, strangely it is. Yeah. Uh, and, and for any listeners who might think that Stefan was exaggerating, no, he discovers subway tokens inside a graphing calculator and then Google's Roosevelt D-Train. And, and we discover the secret presidential subway station that this is all hidden in for reasons that make no sense. It could have become a national treasure film here. I'll be, really honest, I'll be honest, this is a plot point that I barely picked up on. I was, <laughs> I was, I was paying so little attention to this movie at this point. That, yeah, I guess I remember there was something about, like, coins, and I figured out, oh, yeah, those are subway well, tokens, well, I guess. Well, the reason he discovers it is that, like, he makes a big, like, you know, I'm going to find the serial killer wall on his in his bedroom, and uh, Aunt May discovers it, and they have, like, this big emotional thing where it's like, no, Aunt May, it's not that I don't love you, it's just that I need to know where my dad is. Uh and Aunt May explains that he, uh, she was told that uh, Richard was trying to steal the uh, the human spider hybrid research in some sort of act of uh, corporate espionage. And then he gets pissy and throws the calculator and discovers the subway tokens. And Please. somebody, and the people who wrote Star Trek, uh, Star Trek Into Darkness thought this was a great plot point. Well, and uh, Kurtzman and Orky. Yeah. It's a Kurtzman and Orky joint. Yes, uh, which also, this is yet another movie written by them about magic blood. What yes, is with yeah. them in magic blood? <laughs> That's true. Did they also write on heroes? Um, so that, that... At, at least at least this movie isn't about uh, 9-11 trutherism like Into Darkness was. That's true. Not obviously. <laughs> yeah, no, I bet. Like, yeah, probably if I sat down to watch this again and went, is this about 9-11 trutherism? I probably could find an angle. There is another subplot that we've been neglecting, which is that uh, Gwen Stacy, uh, this is another reason Peter's so upset, she is uh, getting recruited to go off to Oxford through... Yes, for the Oxford Scholars Program, which is totally a thing. <laughs> yep. So she is going to get the opportunity to go off there, and that makes Peter pissy. Um, yes. Because also, that's when people decide what college they're going to the summer after they've graduated as valedictorian. <laughs> yep. That's definitely when you apply for colleges. Yep. yep. Maybe she was just going to take a gap year and hang around uh, hang around Queens for a little while. Maybe. God knows. Kids do these. Yeah, those kids. Um, okay, so 
what what the hell happened? I I have no idea if I'm recounting this in the right order or not well, because time ceases. Well, doesn't think. fucking know what the right order for these blog yeah. posts. I think I think we've gotten everything. I feel like there's like a. I think we just need to skip. Like there's a half hour bit where nothing fucking happens, and then we could just skip to the power plant. Let's okay. just skip to the power okay. plant. So yeah, uh, Jamie. Fu- okay, so. Harry Osborn decides he's not going to get Peter, or Spider-Man tells Harry that he's not going to give him his blood because the blood could do terrible things to him, which means something, I guess. Um, (laughs) Harry then goes and breaks Electro out of the Ravencroft Institute so that he can apprehend Spider-Man so he can get the blood. Electro is out rampaging. Harry, meanwhile... No, no, no. He he goes to Oscorp to get the Spider-Venom, which apparently is Plan B. Yeah, so Harry goes straight to Plan B, which is the (laughs) Spider-Venom, which he gets... Which, again, like... All right, we've developed a human-spider hybrid for their... for their like regenerative powers is spider venom going to be where we find the regenerative powers in these hybrids i think not that's how venom works right <laughs> yeah okay so harry injects himself with the spider venom and shockingly it doesn't work and gas and instead mutates him into <laughs> I think you called it right. It's basically the leprechaun. Yeah, it's essentially the leprechaun. He's in yeah. the leprechaun makeup. Yeah, they want us to think this is the Green Goblin, but it's really more a leprechaun situation. Yeah. Uh, yeah. A Warwick Davis leprechaun, not like a, a cute leprechaun that no, would no, tell no. Ralph Wiggum to burn the house down. No. And then, and then he, like, while mutating, he crawls over to, like, this the healing super soldier armor, which for some reason was not plan B for him. He knew about this armor. He knew it was regenerative. But he went, you know what? I think I need to eject it to myself. Spider Venom. Mm-hmm. He's not He's not making good decisions. No, he's not. <laughs> okay, so we're almost there. So there's a power plant fight scene where Electro tries... What's he trying to do? Is he just trying to suck all the electricity into himself? Or... Like, I, yeah, at this point, like, to the extent that I ever understood what Electro's motivations were, I distinctly remember during the scene going, like, what is it you're trying to do? Because he gives, like, a big supervillain speech about how nobody appreciates him, and once he steals their electricity, they'll treat him as a god. Yeah, so the the plot point is, or like, the villain's evil plan is to cause a blackout basically yeah which uh, like uh, nature takes care of from time to time in new york yes uh and yeah like his motivation essentially is that he wants people to pay attention to him because he is despite being probably at least in the top three electrical engineers in the world given that he works for oscorp he apparently has never been given a modicum of attention and any attention whatsoever uh makes him go crazy and try to blow up times square the blackout threatens various denizens of New York as well as, uh, so there's like, you know, the hospitals without power and Sally Fields, Aunt Mays, there's... And there's like, two planes that are flying there's directly... There's two planes that are flying at like 500 miles an hour above metropolitan well, New yeah. York. Well, the electricity goes out and they, uh, on the plane, which is clearly connected to the power grid, they lose all radio transmission and can't talk to each other. And also they can't see out the windows because once the electricity in the city goes down, the blast shield drops down. And, and this is where the movie made its greatest mistake. Not oh, bold claim. Cole, not casting Cole Meany <laughs> as one of the pilots of the plane. So he can reprising reprise. his role from Die Hard 2. Yeah, and he's get he's getting ready to crash, and he just says, "Oh, not again." <laughs> I'm getting I'm getting too old for this shit. <laughs> uh, 
Okay, so Electro gets defeated, uh, of course. With electricity. He's like Gwen Stacy is for is somehow necessary to beat She's him. She's an electricity genius, and I don't know, zaps Peter yeah. with a car battery. Yeah, like she makes she makes like this sure. big feminist stand about how like and tell me not to go. I'm gonna be here in the middle of this very very dangerous battle, and I'm gonna help you, and I'm gonna remind you of batteries work, and that's gonna help you defeat him. Mm-hmm. That's effectively your role here. I'm going to distract you by putting the person you love most in mortal danger as you're fighting for your life. But don't worry, it'll turn out well. The spoiler is it does not turn out well because the leprechaun shows up on his uh, hoverboard. Right away, like the moment Electro uh, evaporates, which is what he does, the Green Goblin just swoops in. The only thing I could think was, oh, there's a secret boss fight at the end. Yeah, that's, a thing, that's about the level of development. It's essentially like the, oh, shit, there's another level after the boss. Yeah, it's like, oh, I beat, uh, uh, God, I never actually played through a Final Fantasy game. I know Final Fantasy is notorious for doing this at the end of its games, but I never actually yeah. played through well, them. Fair enough. Dragon Quest games also do that. There's always like, the, oh, you've beaten the boss, but secretly they're working for some extra-dimensional evil. <laughs> now defeat the extra-dimensional evil. <laughs> Literally, that is the plot of like seven out of eight, uh, seven out of nine uh, uh, Dragon Quest games. Boy, that was close. So they flee from the ultra advanced uh, electromagnetic power plant into uh, a medieval clock tower. <laughs> yeah, there's a fucking cart. There's like an 80 story high cartoon clock tower right next to the goddamn Gallifreyan power plant. Uh, so they go in there, and there is a close quarters fight uh, with lots of uh, clockwork and grinding gears and grimacing faces and all that stuff. Uh, the the end result of which is uh, Gwen Stacy plummeting. Peter catches her with uh, his web. The force of being caught jerks her around and snaps her neck, and she dies. She fucking dies. She dies hard. Which should happen to Peter himself. Every time he uses his web shooters. Yeah, he doesn't yes. have, like, a, an exoskeleton that is protecting <laughs> also, him. Also, well, we're talking about things that should have killed him. So, like, his main problem in fighting uh, Electro is that uh, Electro can electrify his web, web shooters and they'll explode. And Gwen Stacy comes up with a way that a car battery will, will solve this problem. But that does not get around the fact that Electro is shooting him with, like, a billion volt, volts of electricity... And Spider-Man is just like, ah, fuck it. Uh, my my uh, web shooters aren't uh, exploding anymore. I'm fine. Yeah, his his health gets into the red zone a lot of times, but it auto regens if he if he has a few seconds to rest. Clearly, um, yeah. So we're very very sad because Gwen Stacy died. Um, which is we should stress like one of the single most iconic moments in Spider-Man's comic book history. It's it is a yeah. brutal traumatic but formative event in that character's yeah. evolution. There are like five things that I know have happened to Spider-Man in the comics, and that's one of them. Yeah. Even I like, know this happens to yeah, Spider-Man. Yeah, like Uncle, Uncle Ben dies, Gwen Stacy dies, he has a clone, he goes to a planet and gets a black suit that later later is the symbiote that's Venom, and he get, he gives up his powers uh, to save Aunt May's life in this stupid fucking thing. Those are the, the, he didn't give up his powers. He gave up his marriage. He gave up his marriage. Yes, thank you. Those are. I'm not sure I can tell you a single other plot point involving uh, Spider-Man. Those are the five that I know, and Gwen Stacy dying is one of them. Kind of the big ones, yeah. Yeah. So, um, 
th- this should be a big moment uh, for a number of reasons in the way the film is told. It's it's really not, and no, like, nothing bad to say about Emma Stone or Andrew Garfield here. They they do the best that they can with what they have yeah, to work you, with. Yeah, you know, he, he, he stands around in a montage in the graveyard, uh, yep. and it's not really all that affecting. He cries very, very hard, uh, and yeah. He's about ready to give up on life, and then Aunt May tells him, you know, people need Spider-Man, for some inexplicable reason. And then he goes back out on the street and finds who should appear but Paul Giamatti in a giant rhino suit, declaring to the world, I am the rhino! (laughs) Because when you need dead on your last act, you bring in Paul motherfucking Giamatti. Yes. And this is this is somewhat telegraphed because, like, right after the funeral, we go back to Ravencroft, and Harry is met by Mister Fierce. I have no fucking clue who Mister Fierce it's is, the same but Mister Fierce talking to Kurt Connors at the end of the last film. But that's I looked that know. I looked that up, and yeah, I found that. I don't remember that happening. Yeah. Um. And he goes off and gets the rhino suit, and like we see down in special projects, we also have the Doc Ock arms and. Uh, there must be another illusion there that I am not remembering. Uh, Can I just quote uh, Giamatti's uh, description of his amazing. character and performance? Exactly what you're say and I love oh it. God, I, I don't know it. Please tell me. <laughs> Giamatti said of his character, this is from Wikipedia, he's a Russian mobster. Russians are always good villains. I have an ability to just destroy things, he said. My accent is pretty hammy. I love doing it. It seemed to me like an opportunity to be as over-the-top hammy as possible. It was really fun. I'm glad he had a good time. I respect that. I, I completely I completely support when very serious actors go, you know what, fuck it. Oh, I want to play a vampire. I'm going to be a fucking vampire. You, let you me be clear. That, let me be clear. Uh, there There is nothing to be said against Paul Giamatti uh, as an actor no, in no, this no, film. No, no. There is no. plenty to be said about the use of Paul Giamatti's character in this film. Yeah. Uh... Yeah, I think that about covers it. Uh, there is a deleted scene version where uh, during the uh, during the montage of Peter at Gwen Stacy's uh, grave, Richard Parker turns up alive. What? Uh, I know, because what the movie really needed more of was Richard Parker. And here's the most galling part. Like, they have a big emotional talk uh, talking to, and at the very end, at the very end, Richard Parker has the gall to say with great power comes great responsibility. Oh As though God. this movie hasn't done enough to shit on the memory of Uncle Ben, they steal that fucking line from him and give it to Richard fucking Parker. <laughs> wow. Thank God that, that scene was deleted. Yes. Yeah, really would have ruined the movie. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so goddamn mad at how much Richard Parker Okay, well, since we're done with the plot summary, maybe we can talk about that. Bester, talk about Richard Parker. All right, so let's say you're doing a Spider-Man movie. You have to obviously... <laughs> you obviously, are you, Mark Webb. You are... No, you're anybody doing a Spider-Man movie, and obviously you have to include Spider-Man. You can't do a Spider-Man movie without Spider-Man. That's fair. Then we then look at all the rest of the characters. Who is necessary for to tell a Spider-Man movie? You don't. You could get away without having Aunt May. It would be a little weird, but it's she's not necessary. You could get away with not having Gwen Stacy or, or Mary Jane. You probably want to have one, but neither is really necessary. You definitely don't need J. 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 Jonah Jameson. You should have J. Jonah Jameson, but he's not necessary. 
Who is fucking necessary? Uncle fucking Ben is necessary. If you're going to include one goddamn character around Spider-Man, it's going to be Uncle Ben. And this is a movie that goes out of its way to erase Uncle Ben from Spider-Man. This is a movie that says, you know what Spider-Man's defining character trait is? He's got daddy issues. He's obsessed with the fact that his dad abandoned him. No, that is not what Spider-Man is about. He's obsessed with the fact that he couldn't save his uh, uncle from being shot. His real They're, father figure. Who was there? His real that? father figure. Yeah, clearly the writers were like, you know what's really great? All three of our main characters, Peter, Gwen, and uh, Harry, have lost their dads. We should totally hammer that uh, in. But they somehow didn't remember that father figures are a thing, and thus we could talk about a non-literal father. Uh... But no, so we're just going to have so much goddamn Richard goddamn Parker in this fucking movie. And there are uh, fucking George Stacy shows up in this movie more times than Uncle Ben. Peter Parker is more haunted by George Stacy's death than by Ben Parker. And that is insane. So do you think that, like, how much of that do you think was them writing that into the script, and how much of that do you think was Martin Sheen deciding he didn't want to come back? I mean, I imagine some of it was just sort of like Martin Sheen maybe was hard to get at the moment, but, like, I can't imagine that Dennis Leary had a lot of work. That was, like, one day of green screen work. Yeah. I don't know how much it costs to get Martin Sheen in for one day of uh, green screen work, but Sony was throwing so much goddamn money at these... This is a movie that's meant to launch the Spider-Man universe, and it is trying so goddamn hard to do that right now. Yeah. Uh, and the fact that they couldn't cough up, I don't I don't know what Martin Sheen's day rate is, but they could have fucking afforded it because they're fucking Sony. Yeah. In I case mean, it wasn't in case it wasn't clear, listeners, this is a garbage movie. It's a garbage movie. <laughs> I saw I watched I watched two Spider-Man movies, this and Homecoming. I did the same yesterday. One was the best Spider-Man movie I've ever seen. One was the worst Spider-Man movie I've ever seen. Three guesses which movie we're talking about <laughs> right fucking now. And I think that there's a way in which, like, you can lay this at pretty clearly at uh, a couple of entities slash people's feet. I think 60% of the reason that this movie is a garbage movie is because Sony wanted to start their own cinematic universe yeah, and absolutely. they just yeah. threw everything, you know, at yep. the wall. Yep. The other 40%, I think you can land pretty squarely at the script, at Kurtzman and Orky's, like, garbage script for now this let's, movie. Let's talk about Kurtzman and Orky <laughs> before we talk about Sony, because Sony, I feel like it's, it's pretty easy to talk about what they're doing there, but let's talk about Kurtzman and Orky. Derek, talk to us about Kurtzman and Orky. <sighs> so... The, the, Kurtzman and Orky are sort of, in, in many ways, they are like, really, I shouldn't be the person talking about this. The real expert on this would be Patrick. Um, okay. So, uh, but, but in, in absentia, my, in absentia, my own understanding of Kurtzman and Orky is that they are uh, like, at the best, they are, you know, journeyman screenwriters. Yeah. Their films just happen to have made lots and lots of money. Uh, I mean, they wrote, uh, or let's see, they, they wrote Mission Impossible 3, I think. Uh, uh, they wrote all I'll, the I'll Star down, Trek films. I'll run down the list real quick. Uh, they did, uh, okay, so that's Orky. Did Kurtzman ever do anything separate than him? No, it looks like they were always together. Uh, so they did The Island. That was their starter. Yeah, they do a lot, they do a lot with, uh, they're, they're, uh, they're kind Michael of, go, they're kind of go-to big-budget action film 
screenwriters. So the I mean, Island, they're, they're... Legend of Zorro, Mission Impossible 3, Transformers. They did an uncredited polish on Watchmen. They did Star Trek. They did Transformers Revenge of the Fallen. They did uh, Cowboys and Aliens, People Like Ugh. Us, Star Trek Into Darkness, and The Amazing Spider-Man 2. And then uh, I believe, was it Kurtzman that just directed The Mummy? Yeah, they were definitely involved in that. I don't remember which one. Did he direct it? Yeah, yeah, he directed it. Wrote and directed it. Now, wait. Revenge of Zorro. Is that the Antonio Banderas one? Or was there another Zorro movie in the last 10 years I don't remember? It's Legend of Zorro, and that was a sequel to the first Antonio Banderas one. So it's. But it's still Antonio Banderas. Yeah, it's Antonio Banderas and Catherine Zeta Jones. Like, I was trying to remember if they had tried to reboot. Zorro in the last decade, and I just forgotten about it. It's also got Rufus Sewell in it. Guess who he plays? <laughs> Spoiler: It's not the hero. No, probably not. So yeah, like they, uh, and I think in a lot of ways they're sort of like they work a lot with Michael Bay and they work a lot with J.J. Abrams. Uh, and yeah, they they they're the they're the sort of screenwriters who write a lot of. Uh, big budget movies, so they keep getting work. But and and, and, and I think, a... yeah. More more importantly, like their their movies make a lot of money. Lot. I mean, I think I think um, th- their movies have grossed something like three or four billion dollars. I mean, again, oh, some, yeah. some like, of the names on that list. The Transformers movies made a shitload yeah. of money. Uh, those Star Trek films, particularly the first one, made a lot of money. Um, yeah, yeah. So, like they're not they're they're doing very well financially like they're definitely p- putting out blockbusters that are like successful blockbusters right uh, but they they are they are kind of the platonic ideal of uh you know hollywood sort of like above the line talent that keeps getting hired because sheerly because of box office they're the brett ratner of writers yeah, <laughs> yeah no that's a- accurate uh yeah and i've and yeah and like and they have, they kind of have the same kind of stories over and over again. Like when we were talking earlier about like blood. magic blood being weirdly a thing. I haven't seen any Dad. of the Transformers movies, but there's got to be some fucking magic blood happening in one of those. They love daddy issues as a plot point. Oh, um, yeah. Uh-huh. What, I, it's a shame that they didn't include any daddy issues in this movie, then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, surprisingly. Um,. But I mean, I, I think that can maybe transition us into like a, a more general discussion of just like what doesn't work about the the script of this film. Yeah. It's not necessarily that things don't make sense. There, mm-hmm. there, there are things that go completely unmotivated, to be sure. Mm-hmm. But oh, it's yeah. not. It's not that the film is incoherent. No. Oh no. Um, it's it's just that plot points. A lot is made out of small plot points. Uh, there's a lot of kind of padding of, um, particularly in this film, uh, Gwen and Peter's relationship. Like I didn't, I didn't find their relationship belabored in any way in the first Amazing Spider-Man. In some ways, it was kind of the best part of that film. Yeah. Here, it's a real liability like i think it it really like as a kind of center line of the film if there can be said to be one it's kind of their relationship and (laughs) and i just it just doesn't it just it extends for too long for one um and the problems that their relationship faces are are not really relatable it's like when 
she'll be pulled away to England as part of this scholarship. It just, it's not, yeah. the, the mechanics of it aren't compelling as a kind of romantic centerline plot. Yeah, and like, I feel like, like the, where we left them at the end of the last movie, you know, George Stacy, that's his name, right? I'm yeah, not George just- George Stacy, you're correct. Yeah. All right, George Stacy, um, you know, says like, please don't, don't date my daughter. This is his dying wish, protect her. Uh, and there's this sort of cute uh, romantic moment at the end of the movie where, you know, Peter's like, but breaking rules is the most fun part or something along those lines. And like, it's clear that they're still going to be uh, a couple. Uh, and then at the very beginning of the movie, like they seem like they're at a good point when vis-a-vis uh, -vis the whole graduation thing. And then he like goes out to dim sum or almost goes out to dim sum with the family. And like, he's haunted by George Stacy's dying words for Reasons that aren't really clear. No. Like, th they just sort of come to him and, like, drama ensues. And, again, it feels very unmotivated. Like, it just feels like like they, they're they going to be together no matter what at the end of the movie. And then at the beginning of the movie, they're like, no, we cannot be together because I love you too much. Why? And then later it's like, but I need to stalk you. And you're going to find that cute. And we love each other too much. And I'm going to go to London with you. And it's just like, not, none of it seemed motivated. I think that there are there are a couple of issues here. Issue number one is, I believe that they at the beginning of this writing process they made the decision that okay at the end of this film we're going to kill Gwen Stacy. And yeah, absolutely. Fine. Like clearly, if you're going to write a movie around Gwen Stacy, at some point in a Spider-Man movie with Gwen Stacy, she's going to get thrown off somebody by uh, thrown off something by Green Lantern. Yeah, not Green Lantern. Green Lantern. <laughs> <laughs> by Green Goblin. Um, and yeah, again, that that's fine. But then from there, they worked backwards, and they did so in, in two ways that were not productive. Uh, number one was they said, you remember all that work we did to establish this relationship in the first film? The audience isn't going to remember that. So we have to tear down and build up and invest this film with some kind of gravitas to make them care when, like, charming Emma Stone yeah. gets killed. And then problem number two is then they said, well, we also need to fit all this shit into this film— outside of this relationship so that we can have our franchise and mm -hmm. to do that let's just cut this relationship down to like the four most dramatic moments that could happen in it and call it a through line mm -hmm. yeah that's that's fairly accurate like yeah there's there's their breakup their reconciliation their second reconciliation and her death and that's pretty much all the character moments they get you don't get quiet uh, moments yeah. with with Gwen and yeah. Peter. You don't see uh, yeah, like their relationship. And this, and this is, you know, a common problem that, like, you know, going back to the, the fifth uh, Spider-Man plot point that I know about, this kind of persistent problem in comic book media, but a lot of media, this kind of idea that a lot of writers don't know how to write characters in relationships. So they need to immediately yeah. break them up at the beginning of this movie, even though they're not even going to flirt with the idea that like, oh, we're going to bring in another uh, love interest and there'll be a love triangle. They don't even bother with uh, something as perfunctory as that. Yeah. Uh, but like, but yeah, like it, it does feel like, well, the way you described it just then of like, they're not even going to remember it. Let's do it all over again. Really feels like, let's just have the courtship of uh, Peter Parker and Gwen Stacy again for reasons. There's also a structural problem in the sense that, I mean, if you compare it, if you compare their relationship in these films uh, to the Raimi films, uh, it's really kind of lacking a certain kind of context of like 
New York and class of like, you know, like this, that this is like a, a queen's relationship, right? I mean, it's this, you know, Peter and Mary Jane uh, are like our working class characters. Uh-huh. Yeah, um, there's no sense of class uh, or the class identity of these yeah. characters at all. Which is not even, to say that that's, that that's even, like even with Peter, yeah, you know, it's not to say that that's at all necessary. But there, there's there's no kind of background to them uh, as as characters that kind of makes their relationship compelling in a way that is beyond simply kind of the platonic ideal of a relationship. Right. It doesn't feel contextualized. That, yeah, that, that's the word. It's context. And I think one of the things that, you know, for, uh, okay, so backing up, the Raimi films really did have that relationship with Mary Jane as the through line of the three films. That was what those films were kind of structurally coming back to time and again. And in the most recent film, Homecoming, uh, I found it refreshing that that was not the case, that it was not mm-hmm. a romantically driven film. There was a high school infatuation, but it was it was not core to the, the yeah. character or the, or the arc. Um, the Mary Jane relationship, you, you not only get the uh, kind of the the setting of these characters where they are blue collar kids growing up in Queens. Uh, but you also get the they are next door neighbors. You get the they have known each other for a long time. You get the sort of na- natural tension that comes up with growing up together. You mm. get that background, and you get none of that in this. You, you, Peter Parker loves Gwen Stacy because Gwen Stacy is, according to this films, the most lovable woman on earth. And how could he not? But there's there's nothing else there. There's no backbone to it. There's no meat to it. Yeah, I mean, and I mean, if you just look at their kind of everyday context, like she is a, a genius, and she has like these high power, this high powered internship slash employment at Oscorp. Yeah, um, she's an eighteen-year-old with an office job and a tech yeah. juggernaut. Why? What? Right. Um, and then he, and again, I think this is a structural problem with like the the Garfield version of Peter Parker uh, is. In- <laughs> In many ways, he's just not like he's just not likable. He's just not an appealing character. He's kind of a he's kind of a dick. Yeah. Um, they really tried to, and I I don't think that you can talk about these films without talking about the Raimi films because I think a lot of decisions in the writing and directing of these films were made explicitly as a reaction to those oh, yeah. films. And it's like uh, Sam Raimi and Tobey Maguire's Peter Parker. He's such a nerd and it's so old fashioned. So we'll make our Peter Parker edgy and he skateboards and he wears hoodies. And, and there's something very try hard about like, they like they're clearly, they got the note of like Spider-Man is best when he's like snarky and making, you know, mm-hmm. wisecracking things. And I think like, we probably shouldn't talk about homecoming too much, but like, I think, I think it nails that sort of element of, like, it's successfully funny in a way that there are several times during this, particularly during that opening uh, thing of Spider-Man chasing down the rhino, where there's just this, like, incredibly obnoxious, hi, I'm making jokes because that's what I do. Well, it's to to get to kind of the, the crux of the character. When it, when it happens in Homecoming, and he is making these jokes, and even in Civil War, um, it's not cynical. It doesn't come across as cynical or snarky. It comes across as a 15-year-old kid who just can't shut up. Yes. Um, whereas in in this film, 
it comes across as, oh, I guess I'm supposed to be a smartass right now. So I'm going to talk and I'm going to talk about things that I think are funny. And Andrew Garfield, I like, I, I don't have anything against the way Andrew Garfield plays this character. I think he does what he can do, but it's, it's not well written and it's not written yeah. in a way to make the character sympathetic. Yeah. And I have, and I certainly have issues with, you know, Tobey Maguire slash Sam Raimi's approach to the character too. We've obviously talked quite a bit about mm -hmm. sort of our feelings there. And I think those are, you know, deeply flawed movies as well. So, you know, obviously, you know, the people at Sony, uh, Mark Webb and all these other people sort of sitting down is like, what are the lessons we can learn from these movies? What did they do well? What did they not? That's absolutely the right approach. But I, it's very clear that they did not get the right message. And at some point when we sort of uh, switch over to talking about sort of what Sony is trying to do with this movie, I think we can also see the ways that they're also looking at what is it that Marvel's doing? What is the MCU doing? How can we do that? And I think a lot of studios are in the process of trying to do that. We've already talked about The Mummy and Universal's ridiculous uh, assertion that they're starting a monster franchise. Oh, like, no, no, you're not. No, you're not. <laughs> Nobody wants that. Stop it. Stop I, it. No I, one is asking for this. I love the old Universal Monster films with oh, yeah. all of my heart. I think they are utterly wonderful. wonderful. And I do not want to see <laughs> any modern-day iteration of the Universal Monsters in yeah. any context. I think um, in, some ways, in some ways that was one of the most striking parts about this film is, you know, I mean, the way you put it, Nick, the kind of try-hardness of it trying to like start this like sinister six franchise is oh, that yeah. movie still happening by the way i don't think so but I that was that they like spoiler from the end of homecoming they might try to repurpose it as a plot element in a future mcu okay movie, yeah which is but that was that was the plan the plan as i remember it when before this movie came out and sony was being all like here's here's the next 10 years of spider-man movies their ridiculous plan they were they were planning on making spider-man movies without spider-man their next movie was going to be a sinister sticks movie and a venom movie i was yeah. like you do not have enough here to make a cinematic universe stop it there was going to be if i remember correctly it was going to be amazing spider-man 2 there was going to be um okay so here we go on wikipedia uh there was going to be a third amazing spider-man film there was going to be a sinister six film there was going to be a Venom film, uh, and I believe, yeah, there was going to be, quote, a female-led spinoff, which I assumed was going to be like a Spider-Woman film. So well, isn't uh, isn't Felicity Jones playing the character who turns into Black Cat? Yes. They might have been, been seeding that in there. That, that might have been. Uh, Although, you know, I don't, I, that, that might have just been that they used a name. I don't know if they had any actual intentions of her ever being Black Cat. So the, the plan was, from Sony's perspective, we are going to use this one film to launch, for all intents and purposes, three different franchises, plus the existing one to comprise our Spider-Man cinematic universe. Yes. Um, and it was... and. On paper, some of these things looked good. I mean, Drew Goddard was going to direct the Sinister Six film. Um, yeah, I'm not saying that a you know a super villain movie is not a somewhat viable idea. Not all although, of them have to be Suicide Squad. Yeah, you know, I think I think it could possibly work. I wouldn't necessarily, given the fact that as we've talked about many times, 
villains are consistently the weakest part of superhero movies in general, but a lot of Marvel and MCU movies in particular. I don't know if I... I don't need, you know, Obadiah Sloan or Slain or Stain or whatever the fuck is Stain teaming up with, you know, the Whiplash and teaming up with uh, the fucking the Wasp from the Ant-Man. I don't need that movie. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, you know, it's not it's not the worst idea for a movie I've ever seen. It's not the Universal Marvel, uh, mo- the Universal Monster franchise movies they're trying to make. Which is, perhaps, the one. Uh, Although, I will say, um, Legendary Pictures is also trying to do uh, Godzilla King Kong, and to me, it's absolutely insane that they are not putting Pacific Rim in there, given that they own that they fucking own movie. Oh my god, I never thought of that! They own Pacific Rim, and as far as I know, at least officially, they have no plans to get that into the King Kong <sighs> Godzilla universe, and it's, it's like, you're fucking insane! Yeah. Wow, I never thought of that. I was yes. just too, I was too, my mind was too boggled by like, oh, you've made a mediocre Godzilla film and a mediocre King Kong film. Surely this shitty peanut butter and jelly will make a delicious peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Yeah, I, have, I never saw Kong, uh, Spider Island or whatever the fuck it's called. <laughs> the horrors of Spider Island. <laughs> the death of, the- the Island of Dr. Death and other stories and other stories. I did I did watch, uh, on Dooge's recommendation, I watched Lost Souls last night, the uh, documentary about Richard Stanley's Island of Dr. Moreau and where it went wrong. And uh, I, I saw that in theaters for some reason. You saw the movie, Dr. Moreau in theaters? Yeah. yeah. For some reason, my parents took me to see that in theaters. You would have been 10 years old when you I saw know. that. <laughs> I know. I was not ready to see that movie. I don't think anyone was ready to see that movie, including the people who made it. And, and the the it was as as a tangent, it was interesting to watch that film because you would have expected someone to defend their work, but no one involved did. Like all of the executives and all the filmmakers and the actors as they were making it, there's a point where it's like, oh yeah, a week into filming, we knew this was going to be bad. Like we knew that there was no hope for this, but. It made more sense to release it than to stop making it. I do always wonder about those sorts of movies. Like, how how aware were you yeah. of what was going on? And I have to imagine probably a lot of the time, you know, as long as you're, like, somewhat familiar with how... Like, obviously, you know, Val Kilmer, Marlon Brando, they know what's what, you know? Mm-hmm. If you're some fresh-faced kid straight off the bus from uh, Peoria, maybe you're not going to recognize that you're in a, shit, uh, a shitty film, but... Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, I, 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 as a kind of epilogue here, I mean, this movie made $700 million. Oh, it did like, and it, it was it, enough it, of a failure to justify a reboot. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, Spider-Man um, 3 also made uh, a pretty sizable amount of money, if I remember correctly. Like, yeah. I, don't think, I don't think either of these movies exactly qualify as bombs maybe they underperform no no maybe they underperformed expectations but you know i don't think anybody's going like oh this is the new cutthroat island yeah (laughs) um but you know it's sort of it's it's like it continues the kind of kurtzman orky pattern like they're gonna continue they're gonna continue to get work because of this movie and you know i imagine uh i don't i don't have the numbers in front of me but you know I think most of their movies do very well abroad. Yeah. So, you know, 
their, their style of screenwriting maybe, you know, doesn't do well with critics and doesn't do well with us, but, you know, I think it's obviously doing well, you know, overseas in China. So that that's an interesting point, though, and it's one that I think we touched on a little bit in Iron Man 3, where there were, like, the deleted scenes involving the Chinese actors and things like that. But, yeah, yeah, that was weird. Um, it, These films are being made for for that global market to a degree. And one of the reasons that, for instance, the Transformers films do so well is those sell overseas, and particularly in Asian markets, where the language barrier is not an issue because robots blowing each other up is a universal language. Mm -hmm. Um, Some might say the universal language. The universal language. Um, This film being released overseas and making a lot of money overseas um that that is why orkman and kurt or kurtzman and orky orkman and kurtzy that's why they continue getting work and i'm looking at the mummy's box office mojo page right now uh guess how much money the mummy made on its 125 million dollar production budget in the u.s 50 million pretty i think that's hot it's, yeah. I think that's high. It's it is actually higher. It's seventy seven million. I I was actually guessing that my number was high. Yeah. I'm amazed that it's made that much. All right. So I mean that's before you yeah, include yeah, yeah. marketing budget and all that. So yeah, yeah no. I'm, on on domestic, you've lost fifty million dollars. There more when you consider marketing. Foreign box office, it's made three hundred million dollars. All right. So yeah, like. So yeah, that's that's enough to effectively you know. It covered it. It covered its costs. Yeah, like like, again, it's not, and and that movie is still still in theaters, as far as I know. That only came out a couple weeks ago, so it's probably probably not going to go up a lot. But you know, it's yeah, it's it's got a little more to ring out of it. But yeah, yeah, and and this film made money too. Like it's yeah, the the Orky train keeps on rolling. Yeah, no, I don't. I don't know. I don't know if there's a movie they can make that are going to stop getting them hired because yep. they, I mean, you know, amazing. There, I think there will always be more Transformer movies to make. They yep. don't seem to be stopping those anytime soon. Amazing Spider-Man two domestic gross two hundred million, foreign gross five hundred million. Off a budget of how much? Do you know? Uh, like three hundred. Yeah. Very right. So, yeah, it's. It's a moneymaker. Spider-Man swinging from a web is a universal language. Again. Yeah. Well, I, well, we'll have to see how Homecoming does. Because it's a much better film. It's a much better film, yes. But, I don't, uh, but also, I don't know how much that matters. Yeah. I, I don't know if I have much more to say about this film. Uh, I... I, I... I'll, I, I'll say I will never watch this movie again. No, no, uh, absolutely not. This, this is it. <laughs> um, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't rank it at the absolute bottom. That it's not Rise of the Silver Surfer. It's not Rise of the Silver Surfer. But I mean, uh, I assume, but you would of the Spider-Man movies, right? <laughs> the way that oh, certainly the bottom of the Spider-Man. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Uh I will say one thing that I do appreciate about the Spider-Man movies is that I do feel like they uh, do utilize Spider-Man's rogue gallery much better than a lot of superhero franchises that are this large are. Because, like, we've had six movies now, and I think the only repeat villain has been Harry Osborn. 
Yes. Every everything else we've gotten, you know, let's see. First movie we had Norman Osborn, then we had Doc Ock, Harry, uh, Sandman, Venom, uh, Lizard, uh, Electro, and now Vulture in Homecoming. Also, uh, Rhino in this film. Oh, and Rhino, yeah. Um, I am the Rhino. And Venom. I don't. Did I did I say Venom? I can't venom, remember. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but whereas you compare that to something like Superman, where I think only one movie doesn't have either Lex Luthor or G- General Zod as the villain, and that was Superman three. Yeah, Superman three. <laughs> I think it's the only Superman movie that does not have General Zod or Lex Luthor or some combination of the two uh, being the villain of that. Uh, X Men movies are he's incapable Magneto. of a Magneto. Magneto is either the villain or he starts out as a good guy and turns into the villain, or he's like the henchman of the villain. He's always fucking the villain. Um, and even the Batman movies, like there's a lot of repeats of the, of, from the Burton Schumacher movies into the Nolan movies. A lot of the uh, same villains get used. You see Joker again, you see Two-Face again, you see Catwoman again, uh, you see Bane again. So yeah, I, I would say... But the the fact that you know, other than Harry Osborn, every we've had six super uh, Spider Man movies, and that's at least four too many Spider Man movies. <laughs> uh, and yet it's not it's not the way that like we're not fucking seeing. Um, you know, we haven't gotten five different versions of Electro or five different versions of the Vulture in the way that I think some other. Uh, superhero movies that are constantly sort of reinventing themselves just go well fuck it obviously general zod is the only super uh, super villain he can face which gives me hope that one day we will see the spider-man movie with craven the hunter and the spider-man yeah. movie with mysterio that i have yeah, always exactly. wanted to see absolutely like i feel like uh although i was i was thinking while i was watching um homecoming last uh, like the bomber vest that, or the bomber jacket that uh, Vulture wears is, awesome, is Craven awesome is jacket. It's awesome, but it's it's very Craveny and it's in its fringe. So I was wondering if that was like a specific call out or anything. But yeah, like, and I think I think that's one of the only like a Spider-Man movie eventually doing Craven or uh, Mysterio or you know maybe doing Venom right or something like that. Uh, I think we have a much better chance of seeing. Whereas you know the next five X-Men movies are absolutely going to be about Magneto one way or the other. Well, you know, there is a Venom movie being made now, right? Uh, yeah, I, I know that like, cause I, I've been, I'm kind of half aware of how it works is like Sony, like homecoming is in the MCU, but it feels like, I think Sony is like planning on maybe not doing other Spider-Man movies in the MCU. Am it's I remembering like, that correctly? It's doing movies, um, that, I think are non-committal about being in the okay. MCU. Like there will be nothing right. making you know. it in the MCU, but nothing not making it there. All right, you know, and it's, and in some ways, I'm fine with that. Like I don't mm-hmm. like Homecoming is a movie that kind of messes up the MCU timeline in a lot of ways. But also, a part of me is like, I kind of don't care. Yeah. Like I don't, I don't need this to be a perfectly coherent timeline. It's a fucking comic book movie. Mm-hmm. Comic books are not perfectly coherent. Watch uh, witness the X Men films. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, like I saw a lot of people going like, oh no, this is the movie where it t- finally breaks this perfect, uh, continuity. I'm like, who the fuck cares? And you know who's I've... playing Venom in this film, do you? Uh, is it, uh, Topher Grace? No, it is not Topher Grace. It is Tom Hardy. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You know. I, is he I, Eddie Brock again, or are they doing, I know there's a couple different, he's uh, Eddie Brock. Venoms. He's Eddie Brock. Okay. I will say, 
the one the one moment that made me smile and made me laugh in this movie uh was near the very end uh where the rhino is like oh i will crush you in his, ah, in his, in his i am the rhino i am the rhino suit and uh andrew garfield the spider-man uh says something to the effect of like on behalf of the of the people of New York and real rhinos everywhere, I ask you to like, stand down or something like that. It's like that's a pretty funny line, actually. Yeah, no, he 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 has his moments. Like I again, I think I think Andrew Garfield gets sort of poorly served by the movie he's in. Like he's gonna be he's gonna be remembered as a much worse Spider Man than he actually was. He's going kind to of the be way the, he's like, gonna be the Brandon Ralph of Spider Man. I was I was thinking the uh, the sixth doc- doctor of uh, of Spider Man. Oh, so I know the sixth doctor is often regarded as like he had a really bad run of episodes, but a lot of people like think the actor was poorly served by that. And you know the good, the big good thing. comparison. Yeah. All right. I say that having I don't think ever seen a sixth doctor adventure, but I've I've seen a couple of them. He he's fine. Like he is he is no worse than any other doctor. Um, yeah. He is not well served by the BBC's special effects budget from the 1980s. <laughs> I don't think anybody was. Nope. Yes. Uh, uh, I'm trying to think of things that made me smile in this movie besides uh, Jamie Foxx's I'm being electrocuted scream, um, which <laughs> did make me laugh out loud. Yes. Because it sounded exactly like Sam Neill pretending to be electrocuted in Jurassic Park. When he Let's see. I really liked uh, when uh, Harry and Norman were having their one scene together. Uh, Harry saying, on my 16th birthday, you sent me scotch. <laughs> uh, I'm looking through, through my notes. I think one of the ones that I, I did like as, as sort of a joke moment was um, when um, Peter is going off to fight Electro and he leaves uh, Gwen behind and he like, webs her to the car and she yells out angrily peter and then covers her mouth i uh, like the, the, <laughs> I, I thought like emma stone and like her facial expression really uh sold that moment uh and looking through my notes i also note that uh the stacy brothers have a fucking amazing supervillain origin story <laughs> right here because he this killed our father then he <laughs> killed our sister i know these guys must fucking hate spider-man so hard right now good god they're gonna be amazing supervillains uh, oh, I'll I will. I, I also, I, I'll also note that we didn't mention that Colm Fiore's henchman looks exactly like uh, Jason Schwartzman. I have several notes about <laughs> yeah, Jason Schwartzman yeah. in my uh, in my notes here. I thought, Zach, I thought Zachary Quinto before I thought Jason Schwartzman. All right, he's got a, he's got you know he's got that sort of uh, very dark uh, yeah. dark hair. Where uh, on the uh, spectrum from Quinto to Schwartzman? Which end do you yeah. see? <laughs> The Quinto Schwartzman spectrum. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sounds like Gregor something syndrome. that has to do with astrophysics. Yeah, yeah. Dr. Kafka. <laughs> so, yeah. Do we have anything else to say about this film? Should we just, like... It's, have, t- it's fucking too much. Story? It's too much about fucking Richard Parker. Don't, God damn it. Yeah, don't watch it. Don't watch it. No, if you must watch it, watch it once. Yeah, and the, never yeah. watch it again. I, the, the only... Other compliment that I will give to this film is I thought the Spider-Man suit looked pretty good, and yeah, it it, yeah, it, no, cap- it captured like the Mark Bagley uh, 1990s Spider-Man, which was the Spider-Man yeah. that I kind of grew up with. Uh, so 
so obviously, like a lot of Spider-Man movies, it's overstuffed with villains. If mm-hmm. yeah, like, who would if you could remake this movie with just one of the villains? I'm assuming none of us are going to pick the Rhino, but Electro <laughs> or Harry, like, like because there's a part of me going like, I don't fucking know why Electro is in this movie, but I also kind of don't know why the Green Goblin is in this movie. I don't know if I would pick either of them even. The Harry story and just the nature of his relationship with these characters is inherently more interesting because it's a story with a lot more meat on the bone and a story with, I think, much stronger roots in the character's origins. It's also one that we've seen before. Yeah. So it's also something. But we've also seen Electro before because we've seen Batman forever. But that, like, the relationship between Peter and Harry in this one is also one that is told to us rather than shown yeah. to us, like like it was in the Raimi films. I mean, like, you really do have to give the Raimi films a lot of credit for making that a really meaningful relationship throughout those first two films. Yeah, I would say I would say Harry Peter, you know, feels much more organic and real in those movies than Peter Mary Jane ever does. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'd, I would pick the Electro film. I, I don't know where it would end up in terms of being better yeah. or worse than this film because it could be really, really shitty because I'm not sure how much meat there is uh, on that bone. But Yeah, I think I think you either, you either, if you do the Electro movie, you either have to recast it with uh, a different actor or rewrite it for Jamie Foxx because I, I think it's, it's it does none of, neither of those things uh, well. So yeah, I think... Um, I, I really liked uh, Derek's suggestion of Craig Robinson. Like, I it's it's so hard to imagine Craig Robinson as a comic book supervillain, but I want to see it done. <laughs> I like can... to try and like to try and do like the comedic supervillain who's got electrical powers, and it's Craig Robinson, and he's doing his thing. And I'm just like, I don't it know, I don't so... know how that works, but I would love to see it. It is so easy for me to see a scene where Craig Robinson makes the classic Electro Comics costume with the big electric, like, star <laughs> front piece, and then yes. puts it on for the first time and, like, looks at himself in the mirror and is, like, making comments about, oh, how good he thinks he looks. I can see that that scene very easily. And that would yeah. have had more personality than anything in this film. Absolutely. And, like, they're, they're trying so hard to make, like, have most of the comedy of the movie in that storyline in a way that's like, what are you doing? Why? This is not how you do that. Um, so yeah. But all right. So so in in your theoretical, it's only an Electro movie, ASM two. Does Electro kill Gwen Stacy? Oh. Does Gwen Stacy die? Like I feel like the only not reason if Green... not if we're casting Craig Robinson in the part and we're leaning into the comedy. <laughs> But uh, I mean, isn't isn't a fundamental part of that Gwen Stacy narrative that Spider-Man has to make a choice between Gwen Stacy and like a cable car full of innocence or something? Am I making that up? That was from the Raimi film. Um, I think the way that it played out in the comics was I thrown off a bridge. She was thrown off a bridge, and I don't think it had kind of that same choice quality to it um it it, i think was maybe like uh green goblin was trying to get away and peter made the choice to to try to save her but he didn't he didn't do it yeah 
Yeah, I mean, because I, I, yeah, I think his guilt is over that, like, you know, in in trying to save her, he ended up killing her. Although, obviously, she would have died had she had he not tried to save her. So, I'm not exactly sure why he feels so guilty about it. But, yeah. I, to be fair, he should be snapping a lot more necks than he does. If if Gwen Stacy must die in these films, um, Edith Keeler must die. Um, <laughs> If Edith Keeler must die in these films, I, I do think that the Green Goblin needs to kill her, but I'm totally happy having a film with uh, Greg Robinson's Electro and Gwen Stacy not dying. If, yeah. if you're wedded to the premise that Gwen Stacy is going to die, then it should I mean, be is, the Green Goblin. Is Harry in this movie for any other purpose than to kill Gwen Stacy? Because uh, I, I don't think... No. Like, I don't think... Like, again, because we've seen this story, we've seen it done better... I'm not. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if he serves any other purpose. Than, no, I think that's that. why he's there. Yeah. Um. But again, like, c- come on, Sony. You've. We talk about trying to do too much in this film and trying to launch this fucking franchise. Save that for the third fucking film. Or did you only have yeah. him a stone on a two-film contract? <laughs> Maybe I don't know. Yeah. But yeah, I yeah, I'm, you have I'm to sure wonder. Her, her rate probably went up between the amazing spider-man and this film and would probably have been much higher by the next one yeah no i mean certainly her, i i have to imagine at this point uh, in their careers her rate's much higher than andrew garfield's um because what the yeah. fuck has andrew garfield done since this he was nominated for an oscar last year for silence <laughs> oh. well then fine like, he's, that's fine like he's re- doing fine re- recent uh, media relations mishaps notwithstanding andrew garfield's <laughs> been doing like well for himself as an actor he's not had like the success emma stone has but I was in my comment I had forgotten about silence. I mean, I think we can all agree, aside from the physical act of watching this movie, mm-hmm. we all like this movie. Like, I, I feel like, like I was, on paper. I, I was fine with most of this movie up until, like, the last act. Like, I was very frustrated with the Richard Parker uh, focus, obviously. But, like, I, I, it wasn't irredeemably bad, and then it just gets to, like, this train wreck of a third act where I just don't know what's... If you cut the Richard Parker stuff out of this movie, I bet it's a tight hour and 55 minutes. That's something we have we actually didn't talk all that much about. Like, it's way too long. It's uh, so long. There's, there's at least 45 minutes of fat in this. Yeah, in this and, like, what is what does Richard Parker give us? Like, he, he, you get to the Roosevelt Station, and you learn this bullshit about how like there's some sort of uh, preordained uh, overdeterminedness of him becoming Spider-Man, and that's kind of the end of it. Like I think you could cut out the Richard Parker uh, stuff in this movie, and I'm not sure it would affect any of the other plot threads. So why do you think that Orky and Kurtzman? Now I have to think about. Um, why do you think that they were so intent on making that the dramatic through line for both films i mean i mean one we've talked about sort of their they do have that obsession with daddy issues i i'm sure i'm sure the i'm sure that for whatever reason they, they did not or could not get um martin sheen back and that's why there isn't a single goddamn uh uncle ben flashback in this movie which is bizarre um, but also I feel like there's something sort of 
so big and twisty and kind of like, ooh, it's like it's that kind of mystery box sort of thing that um, like J.J. Abrams himself, I think I actually like a lot of his work, but a lot of the people who sort of are trying to do J.J. Abrams style stories and doing them poorly, and I, I think that Kurtzman and Orky uh, do that a lot, uh, sort of go too far into the mystery box, and I think they for some reason decided that uh, Spider-Man's origins needed to be that kind of a mystery box which mm-hmm. given the fact that like the fact that they decided to do a second movie and make it so much about his origins still is kind of confounding given this is the fifth uh fifth spider-man movie in a little over a decade what 13 years yeah but you know the, there were probably still people sitting around saying you know how did he become spider-man <laughs> yeah, I really need to know. Like, yeah, but but why? But why, really? Well, I mean, it's sort of like an old trick of screenwriting to, you know, if if you need if you need to beef up your script, you make it a mystery in some way. Yeah. Um, and there's definitely a bit of that going on. But here. there's a way. But there's a way that you could have made that a mystery, and it could have like better connected to the Harry thing, like. Despite yeah, the I guess, fact that Harry is obsessed with getting his blood, yeah. like his, he's still shockingly disconnected from this okay. entire thing that I ultimately guess, leads to us okay. learning. So, I guess what I'm saying board. is, is that like, I mean, for a lot of scripts, in order, in order for a mystery, a kind of subplot or structural, comp- if a mystery is going to be a structural component of your script, the solving of that mystery also has to be. And so there, there needs to be some kind of investigation subplot or some kind of inherent interest. It can't just be, Oh, there's suspense in a mystery. And then, Oh, everything is revealed in a video, which is, which seems to be like often the like Kurtzman orky model. Here, it's, I'll it's not tell you the mystery. the mystery. It's about, yeah. Oh, here's, here's what it's all about. Mm-hmm. <laughs> all right. So wait, I'm just trying to think through like alternate versions of this movie. Let's say uh, there's a version of this movie where we take Electro out and uh, what if Harry was there at Roosevelt? What if it were he and Peter discovering that together? What if this were a mystery that they were unraveling together? Like a Harry Boys. Harry Harry comes back into town and he's trying to figure out this degenerative disease that's going to kill him. And in his research, he discovers that somehow Peter's dad is involved and Peter and Harry reconnect over this this is how they get back together not some weird awkward peter shows up and goes hi we were friends when we were 10 remember me Mm. sort of thing uh and then they like and then harry becomes much more integral to it and like harry's obsession with the blood then has some kind of motivation once what if he learns that from that video his obsession with i need your blood because this this high-tech spider human dna shit only works with your blood, I need your blood, suddenly makes sense. It's suddenly motivated in a way that he just he just decides that he needs Spider-Man's blood. And I don't know why. It, I, have, I don't know why he needs that blood. I have a better idea. I have one that would make this all make sense. What if Harry were bitten by a vampire and he were becoming a vampire <laughs> over the course of this film? I'm a vampire! <laughs> He's already well, got that they- gaping neck wound. Yeah, I mean, there's already precedent because J. Jonah J- uh, J- Jameson III is a fucking werewolf. It's all right there. 
And there we have solved Kurtzman's universal so monsters problem. Blade, as well. Blade was in the Spider-Man uh, TV show, so clearly vampires exist in the Spider-Man universe. A Spider-Man villain called Morbius the Living Vampire. There we go. Clearly, we've got this Morbius the Living Vampire because he was like he wasn't a uh, he wasn't bitten by a vampire or anything like that. He accidentally scientifically transformed himself into a vampire, so he didn't oh, die. Okay. Yeah, all right. He was a okay. science vampire. I mean, to be fair, I think all of, uh, or almost all of Spider-Man's uh, villains are, you know, science experiment gone wrong. <laughs> yeah. Other than maybe uh, Craven? Does Craven have a, uh, a scientific element to it? I don't uh, think so. I don't think so. I think... I mean, probably, you know, Ultimate Craven maybe does or I something. Think Who ultimate, the fuck? Ultimate Craven, I think, injected himself with some kind of science thing going he's on. Got, he's got fucking Jaguar blood or something. Who knows? Probably. No, uh, Real Craven was like a Russian aristocrat who was a big game yeah, hunter. Yeah, he's just a big game hunter. Yeah. And is Mysterio scientific or is that magic? I, I don't remember his it's origins. Signed, he was, I believe, a film special effects artist. Awesome. Who... Uh, and th this is why I really want him to be uh, the villain of the next Spider-Man movie, because I think that's a really fun story to tell. Yeah. And again, I think if there's any if there's any superhero franchise that's going to eventually d delve into, you know, its B and C list rogues gallery, it's going to be uh, the Spider-Man movies, because they've already fucking done it. Yeah. yeah the and it's not even... Not even... It's not even just about delving into the B and C list. It's about like really relishing and reveling in the like campiness of those characters. Oftentimes, yeah, I, f I feel like that's a really effective. That's one of the reasons why I think the Schumacher Batman films have aged so well is because in some ways they were they were ahead of their time. They anticipated how like how much drudgery audiences would have to sit through uh seeing example after example of brooding uh superhero angst yes i mean to be fair batman forever batman's still pretty fucking angsty and to be fair that doesn't really excuse tommy lee jones's performance in batman forever <laughs> that's on yeah. tommy lee jones yeah he brought that on himself <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. That is a subtle, restrained, Oscar-caliber performance from... <laughs> from an Oscar winner. Yes, from the world's greatest Japanese coffee ad man, Tommy Lee Jones. <laughs> Wasn't there like a series where he was playing an alien in Japanese yeah, he's coffee a, ads? I don't know if he's an alien in all of them, but he's definitely an alien in some of them. But yeah, he, he is the he's like the face... Possibly the voice. It's probably some guy who's like the voice actor for yeah. Tommy Lee Jones in Japanese. Yeah. Uh, of I think it's Boss Coffee. Boss which is Coffee. A pretty, which is a pretty fucking great name. Coffee for salary, man. <laughs> Boss Coffee. Yeah. Which also sounds like, you know, a like a Banana Republic uh, supervillain. Boss Coffee. Or like a, uh, a blaxploitation protagonist. Also true. Boss Coffee. Played by Fred Williamson. <laughs> Like I'm, I'm thinking like the uh, that like really early super uh, Superman one where he's like fighting the like the South American dictator with a mining uh, empire <laughs> and like he traps him in the uh, there. I'm thinking something like that. That could easily have been yeah. Boss Coffee. There you go, Boss yeah. Coffee. Trapping him in the coffee mines. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, Superman did totally abandon that guy in that mine. <laughs> so, man, that 
I need to get the rest of those. those that first are, volume of them is so good. I, the story where he kidnaps and drugs the football player and steals yes! his identity is the greatest Superman yes. story ever told. It's amazing. Yes, it's incredible. Uh, but but for me, like just in terms of like a one page of it that I always remember is like there he sees some guy. I think he's drunk driving. He's driving recklessly somehow, and he leaps down and he picks the guy up out of the car and in midair. The guy has a heart attack and dies. Yep. And Superman just goes, oh, okay, well, fuck it. And just, like, leaves him somewhere. He, like, he's, just, he's fine with it. Like, he's like, fuck what, it. That's what you get for drunk driving. Yeah. Asshole. <laughs> oh. Asshole. Yeah. I, I have nothing else to say about this film. This film is... I'm suddenly imagining, like, if we, could, if we could only make Zack Snyder adapt that football Superman uh, oh. movie. And... So much slow motion football action. I mean, there's already going to be some fucking slow motion football action in uh, the Justice League one, because that's clearly Cyborg's origin. Is it Joss Whedon that is taking over Justice League? I believe so, yeah. And Ross, uh, Ron Howard is taking over uh, Han Solo. Yep. It's a game of directoral musical chairs. Woo. Woo. Uh, so yeah, I... I don't think I ha- I don't think I possibly have anything more to say about this movie, as evidenced by the fact I don't think I've talked about it for about ten minutes. No, no, this uh, is. I I agree with Derek that I will never watch this again. Uh, no, no, if, there will be never there will never be a reason. Maybe my, in like maybe in ten years I will have repressed the memories of it and go maybe this will be fun and funny. And I was like, no, no, I was wrong. Yeah, I'm really glad that uh, my wife wasn't here when I watched this because I would have felt a lot of embarrassment. Um, and I, I made her watch. Uh, I made her watch Angley's Hulk with me. Ooh, dedication. Yeah. And in a lot of ways, like the the reveal of um, of Richard Parker Tinker, like and the Spider Blood, uh, is kind of a weird, weirdly similar to Ang Lee, where the reason that he is the Hulk is because his dad fucked with his D- DNA as a baby. There's again this weird like let's take away. Like, just the random chance that made these superheroes, which is a fundamental part of a lot of superhero origin stories, and make it about daddy issues. Yeah. This isn't a very good movie, is it? No, it's not. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know what is great? Sony Vio laptops. Like father, like son, everyone relies on a Sony Vio. Nick, can I charge my blue e-cigarette with a Sony Vio laptop? <laughs> Yeah, damn Skippy, you can! Sony, <laughs> e-cigarettes. Sony. Sony. Imagine Better. I don't know if that's Sony's uh, <laughs> slogan. I think Imagine Better is something. Sony's... Im- oh, God. All right, well... Uh, what do we got What do we got next time, Stefan? Oh, yeah, next, what is next? Uh, coming next down the, down the chute is a uh, little old film... I like to call uh, X-Men Days of Future Past. Oh, all right. Which I I remember liking. I have not seen it. I I saw it on an airplane, which I recognize as not the best, most ideal way. I think I was also grading exams on an airplane while watching it. So I don't know. I will not, I will not stand by my assessment of of it. Yeah. So maybe it, maybe it doesn't hold up, but I remember liking it. So our, our next uh, our next five films are Days of Future Past, Guardians, Guardians of the Galaxy, Age of Ultron, Ugh. Ant-Man, and oh, then Fantastic Four. 
Oh shit! I oh god! I could not be more excited. To that 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 is the one I'm most excited for. I, I think I think Age of Ultron is going to be a big slog. Yeah. But also maybe it'll be better than I remembered. I've only seen it the one time. Maybe it maybe it's better than I remember. Maybe James Spader will rescue that film retroactively. I'm just I'm just gonna I'll just I'll just listen to Robert California lines the entire time. So, yeah, Guardians, Ultron, Ant Man. Eh, I thought Ant Man was okay. Yeah, I like Ant-Man. And then I, I'm i going to have a lot of trouble with these next four films because I'm going to want them all to be Fantastic Four. Like, I cannot express how excited I am to watch that because it. my favorite thing in all of the films that we have watched has been how each Fantastic Four film has somehow managed to be worse than the previous <laughs> ones. It really Despite has. Despite the fact that they began with a film that wasn't intended to be released. <laughs> Yeah. So wait, uh, I think I think also I think uh, Fantastic Four might be the. No, I haven't seen Apocalypse. I was trying to think if the, I I was thinking Final Fan or not Final Fantasy. Uh, Fantastic Four might be the last one I haven't seen on that list, but I haven't seen Apocalypse. That might be the only other one. I haven't seen Apocalypse, Doctor Strange, or Logan. Oh, I haven't seen Logan. Oh, Logan's great. You guys haven't seen Logan? Wow. Heard yeah, I, I heard great things. I, I never got, like, for some reason around that time, like when it came out in February and March, like several things. Came, I also haven't seen Get Out yet, which I also really want to see. Heard yeah. good things about Get Out. Yeah. See Get Out before you see Logan. Okay. You have to prioritize them. All right. Well, I also still need to see Baby Driver and what's the other thing that just came out that I want to see? Baby Driver, yeah. And something else just came out. The Mummy. Uh, no, no, no. Oh, uh, the big sick, I want to see. Eh, I want to see a ghost story. Yeah. That looks interesting. All right, so are we done? Yeah, we, we can bring the episode to a close. We can keep talking, but... Yeah, well, I need to pee. So I'm going to go pee, and let us, never, let us never speak of, of Amazing Spider-Man 2 ever again. Closing the door. I'll be back, too. <laughs> My cat. Hello, cat. Oh, God, the rapture happened while I was gone. I was worried the rapture happened while I was gone. Oh, can't hear me yet. What was that? I said I was worried the rapture happened while I was gone. <laughs> also, is the plug socket behind you labeled with your name? Wait, what? No, no, Derek. What? There's a Slugs? plug socket. 
behind you that seems to be labeled Derek. Behind what? you. Look behind you. Pl uh, first of all, what is a plug socket? Like an electrical like, outlet? Like yeah, electrical outlet. Outlet, down, not down. alcove. Oh! Down the, oh, I see. No, this plug is a... socket. That's what those are. That's another name for those. You could call it a socket, yeah. <laughs> and plugs go in them. It's true. That's where they're socketed. It makes a compelling point. This is like a this is like a name tag that uh, Jenny's French relatives made for me when we had a, a party there. Uh, do all French name tags have the same name on them? <laughs> yes, they all. They everybody's named Derek at French party. Yeah. I, I forgot uh, to attempt to sing a uh, song during the podcast called Spider Flan, which was Spider Flan, Spider Flan, does whatever a pastry can, made of eggs in a dish. Is it good? Real delish. Look out. Here comes a Spider Flan. Well, interestingly, almost all of the images for plug sockets show British uh, plugs. Ah, so I wonder if maybe, maybe it's, it's a British, British maybe Maybe. I don't know why I would use a British term for it, but yeah. You're but like, Stephen, yeah, almost all... Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, go ahead. Stefan, your your song uh, makes me think of something that really annoys me now in superhero films when there when there's like a reference to the original theme song that is yeah. ostensibly sly, like in a cell phone ringtone or yeah. in like an ad or something. It's it's just like Which I, fucking, I fucking get it. These franchises have been around for seventy fucking years. Oh, oh, you grew up with yeah. this too? Oh, wow. Well, fuck <laughs> yeah. you. Yeah, but I mean that that happens in in Amazing Spider-Man too, because he uh, yeah, it's his ringtone. I think he also like hums it while he's fighting the Rhino at some point. I think probably. I think at some point that happens. Uh, and I think it all. I think it also comes, or maybe he hums it in Homecoming. I, uh, I think it's in the score in Homecoming. Yeah. I, I, and I absolutely agree. Uh, I absolutely recognize that this is like a crotchety old man thing. I mean, oh, I'm sure yeah, that yeah. for for like a ten year old kid, it there there's like it's. I'm sure it's enormously rewarding and pleasurable to recognize. Well, I don't know. I don't, know I don't embrace what I you are. I don't. I don't think that's the target audience for that because I don't think a ten-year-old kid knows what the 1970s TV theme for Spider-Man is. They don't even know that what is, the 1990s TV for, theme for Spider-Man was. I'm not sure I would even recognize. It was mostly that like distorted throat singing. It was like <laughs> Spider-Man is two minutes of throat singing. <laughs> pretty, pretty much, yeah. It was like uh, auto-tune throat singing. All right, I'll have to look that up. But, because, uh, yeah, I don't think that's the target audience. I think the target audience is people like our age or older who ha who yeah. remember that song. Uh, and I will say, uh, I think I texted this or uh, last night, why the fuck is the Ramones cover of the Spider-Man theme not the end tune to Homecoming? You've already established the Ramones. You we know must they have the right exist to... in this universe. Yes, and that's a fucking song that they did. What that the fuck, true. man? That is true. Good, good point. <laughs> oh yes. Yeah. Hey. Maybe they're. Derek, just have you seen Homecoming yet? No, not yet. I might oh. actually go see it tonight. I recommend it. It's very good. Like, it's it's especially good right after seeing Amazing Spider-Man Two. I, I think that might be the ideal conditions to go and go like fuming at how mad you are at this, and then watching a good Spider-Man okay. movie. Again. I, mean, I told you guys about my double feature of Suicide Squad and Nine Lives, haven't I? <laughs> 
Uh, I don't think so. Drew and I, Drew and I decided one day to go to a double feature in Fitchburg of Suicide Squad and Nine Lives with Kevin Spacey. Yeah, and let me tell you, Nine Lives seemed like a fucking masterpiece. having viewed it immediately after Suicide Squad. I simply by virtue of its coherence. <laughs> Fair enough. It tell, I, it, it I, I must, I, to my great shame, I've seen neither movie. Jesus. I, th- I think Nine Lives is genuinely, like, a good film. <laughs> All right. Bold I'm... claim. I would say, yeah. um, see, I, I did the opposite of Bester. I saw Homecoming yesterday afternoon. And then I came home and watched Amazing Spider-Man 2. And I did that knowing that um, that I might be mad afterwards. But I didn't want to... I don't know. I, I wanted a baseline to go from. Like, yeah. I, I... That's fair. I didn't want to watch... Like, I was pretty sure that Amazing Spider-Man 2 was not going to be very good. But I didn't want to watch that and then go into Homecoming and think, ah, oh, Homecoming is a much, much better movie. I'm much happier and possibly overrate Homecoming. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, but, you know, if you like a movie more than it's objectively good, is that necessarily a bad thing? I'm not sure that's a... No. Like, I had a, I had a genuinely good time. And if, you know, in two years I watch Homecoming again and go, oh, it's not as good as I remember... Who the hell cares? No, but yeah, true. no. I I finished up uh, Amazing Spider-Man around like eleven o'clock last night because that movie's eight hours long, uh, and I was very glad that there was an eleven forty screening of Homecoming nearby because I would have just been furious trying to go to sleep, going, "God damn it, that movie was terrible." <laughs> but then, then we would have gotten to hear the story about how this film was so bad it kept you up at night. <laughs> uh, anyway, yeah. I highly recommend it. It was, I certainly thought it was the best of the Spider Spider Man movies so far. Yeah, that's what I've heard. I'd, yeah. I'd say the same thing. It has the best think, grasp of the character. Yeah, I think uh, Tom Holland's great. I think they do a very good job of sort of capturing, capturing what the character is like in high school. Which I think, even though high school has been a major part of at least two of these movies, uh, it's uh, before that it's done the best job of it. And the vulture, the vulture is great. Yeah, Michael Keaton's a good actor. It's just shockingly, I know. So what, okay, explain this to me. What the hell happened to Michael Keaton? Because I remember him being a, a star in the 80s and the 90s through the Batman films and all that. And then I feel like he just disappeared for 20 years. Yeah, he had a big comeback. I Like, I'm sure he did some stuff Birdman, before Birdman. But Birdman seemed to be kind of his, his comeback to the A-list. And he's, you know, been very solidly the A-list since then. But, like, I'm not sure, like, after Multiplicity, which is, what, 96, 97, I'm not sure I could name a single Michael Keaton movie between Multiplicity and Birdman. I mean, he was in ja- he was in Jackie Brown. That's the one I would say, Jackie Brown. As a, uh, a all right, yeah. He made Jack Frost? You remember <laughs> that movie? I remember Jack Frost, yeah. Yeah. Um, Let's see. He was Dogberry in, a, in I think, Branagh's Much Ado About Nothing. Yeah, that was earlier. Yeah, Jackie Brown, Jack Frost, and then a whole lot of shitty films. Oh, he was the voice of uh, Porco Rosso in the English dub of Porco Rosso. 
and he was in Herbie Fully Loaded. And then I guess he did a bunch of voice I, acting. He did. Yeah, I'm wondering, does he have kids? Did he maybe like semi-retire to be like? Maybe he pulled like a semi Rick Moranis and uh, like raised his kids because that seems like a good amount of time to like you know once they're you know in elementary school through high school. And it seems like time wise, it would probably yeah. work. According to Wikipedia, he was actually cast as Jack in Lost. Yeah, with the understanding that it was going to be a brief role. Oh right, there was there was plans to kill Jack at the uh, at like in the first or second episode, and like then Kate would become the main character. Yeah. yeah. Uh, oh, what could have been? We would have never had to learn where those tattoos came from. <laughs> <laughs> that fucking episode with the woman from her or I she, think. whichever one, whichever one it is. I think it's she. Yeah. Hers a different episode. Or him. Him's the one in season seven of Buffy. I think is there a her? I don't know. If there's I don't a know. Her. Him is the one in season seven of, Buff- seven of Buffy with the guy with the Letterman jacket. <laughs> yes, that's a great episode. I love that episode. It's goofy, and I'm sure I'm sure Buffy fans by and large hate it because they, they seem to often hate the comedy episodes that I love. But oh, it's I want more angst. This needs to be more angsty. <laughs> now I have to start over. Hecate hates that. Yeah. I love when they steal his jacket at the end. <laughs> Yeah, no, it, it's great. No, uh, he uh, he just it looks like he just kind of disappeared for several years. I mean, he was doing things here and there, but he was not he was not the leading man he was. And then now he's he's back with now, a vengeance. Yeah, no, I mean, I think I like you can point to a lot of various comebacks, but I would say of the last like probably before him, I would probably point to like Robert Downey Jr. as being kind of the biggest major comeback. And Robert Downey Jr. was never as big a star as Michael Keaton was in the 80s and 90s. Uh-huh. Uh, and he's probably, he's obviously a bigger star than Michael Keaton is now. But well, that's because he's a bigger star than basically anyone, though. Yeah, like, I think... I don't... I Certainly a couple of years ago, he was the top-paid star. I think I think The Rock is currently yeah. at the top of the heap, which, you know, totally makes sense, because obviously you're going to pay The Rock as much money as you can. God, I saw a trailer for Jumanji in front of Spider-Man Homecoming, and it looked like shit. Yes. It was not encouraging. No, it was not. You know. Have either of you seen The Founder? No, The Ray Croc. Yeah. I would kind of like to see that, continuing the Michael Keaton theme. The one about... Is that about the McDonald's guy? Yeah. Oh, I Ray didn't Kroc. even know there was a Ray Kroc movie. It stars Nick Offerman and John Carroll Lynch as the McDonald's founders. So Michael Keaton is not Ray Kroc. Michael Keaton is Ray Kroc, and the movie is about how he swindled those two out of McDonald's. Oh, I didn't realize that he was not the founder he of McDonald's. He was not the founder of McDonald's. Nope. Oh, I did not know the that. The founders were people named McDonald's. Yeah. That would make more sense. Yes. I, I, I did not know that. Richard and Maurice McDonald. So it's it's basically about how he swindles them out of their company. Well, yep. It sounds very uplifting. Yeah, and it's got B.J. Novak and Linda Cardellini and Laura Dern. God, B.J. Novak keeps like cropping up. I'm not stuff. sure yeah. how. He just must have made a lot of friends he's, when he was on The Office. I think, the only I think he's very well connected. Like he, yeah. he's, he's, he's like the, a he's writer got, and producer as well. 
So I think I think he has friends in high places. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he like his his acting role on uh, The Office is not what was important there. He was, you know, one of the executive producers. And, you know, he just had to give himself a small part on that. Uh, but, yeah, no, I imagine he's made some good connections. He got himself into a Tarantino movie. Got those Newton South connections. That's what he's doing. Oh, yeah, he went to your high school, right? Yeah, he did, with John Krasinski and Eli Roth. Although uh, not the same time. The original triumvirate. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So well, I'm, I'm, I should have called that back more during the episode. I'm sorry. I'm kind of <laughs> glad we didn't because I would not. I, I don't know nearly <laughs> enough about ancient Roman history to be able to make any more references about that. <laughs> 